Welcome to the pollsters. I'm Margie O'Mara, Democratic pollster with GBAO. And I'm Kristen Soltis Anderson, Republican pollster with Echelon Insights. And each week we bring you the polls driving the latest news in politics, tech, and pop culture. So how's it going, Kristen? I saw you have a um you brought home, um, you brought home a new pet from your last I trip. I did. So I was out in Arizona end of last week and uh, you know, had my suitcase there sitting on the floor right next to my bed. And, um, yeah, so then came home and went out of town again for another day or two, but took a different smaller suitcase. Cause I was just going up to New York to do some debate night stuff for Fox. And so then I came home today and this morning I was, uh, unpacking my suitcase and I reach in to grab a, I had had like a little box with some jewelry in it. And the jewelry had all fallen out. So I reach in to kind of scoop up the box and all the jewelry and I set it down on my dresser. And then I look at what I just set down and in with the jewelry was a three inch long dead scorpion. I let out a scream (laughs) where I think my soul left my body. Imagine. And uh, because, I mean, it was the horror of this exists. This was in my suitcase. It was presumably alive when it arrived there. What was it looking for? What was it looking for? for? (laughs) Then the horror setting in of like, this was in my bare hand 10 (laughs) seconds ago. How's that working out? And so this is one of my, and I I apologize. This is perhaps a knock against my feminist creds. But if we're going to have to deal with the patriarchy, then I'm going to reap some of the benefits. Meaning, I called my husband. It was like, you need to get home right now. Oh, my God. He had just started walking to work. He was only a couple blocks away. Right, right. I was just like, like, run out of the house, like just screaming my hair on fire. Well, there's still a chance I have to burn the house down. (laughs) Because, um, Because then my dad helpfully texts me like, Oh, well, sometimes uh, scorpions like shed their exoskeleton and it looks like a dead scorpion, but actually the live scorpion is still there. It's just left the skin behind. Oh, no. Then I was like, that's the least good thing you've ever texted me. (laughs) So then Chris has to dissect the dead scorpion and he believes there are guts inside of it. So for those on Twitter who were suggesting that I like, bronze this thing and make a brooch out of it since it was hanging out in the jewelry box that's not going to happen it's now chopped up in a dish um but yeah arizona we're gonna have to have a talk because i'm never gonna be able to close my eyes and go to sleep in your state again (laughs) um that's pretty that's pretty funny i went to new york this past weekend and it was you know like my kids don't have the connection to new york city that i did as a kid so i was trying to make them have it, yep. <laughs> like, you know, uneven success. Um, but one of the highlights was we went to a wedding and, and we had this incredible view of Statue of Liberty. It was in Brooklyn and it was really beautiful. And during the service, the rabbi was talking about, you know, the connection that many people in the room might have to Ellis Island and to the Statue of Liberty and what that means in current times. And so that was really kind of a wonderful moment. And then later on, some I was talking to somebody about their job, their industry, and, and 
I didn't, I didn't make a joke, but I said something. I was like, made an observation about their industry. I won't go into a lot of details. And somebody said, hey, that's really not fair. And I said, I'm a pollster. Like tonight at this wedding, I walked up to a conversation. I heard somebody talking about how they didn't trust polls. Like that happened an hour ago. (laughs) At my kids, you know, pumpkin patch fall festival thing like a week ago, somebody asked me like, how can we trust the polls? Like I get this question literally every day. (laughs) I feel like we should should arm our listeners with some talking points about if you are asked by a relative or a friend, why do you trust the polls? Why do you listen to this podcast where they just talk about polls? I feel like the key points you should hit are number one, the polls got the 2018 midterms right with the exception of maybe two states. Remember I gave the polls like a middling to poor grade. And then I had to walk that back because after all the votes were counted, uh, they turned out to be pretty, pretty bang on in most places. And then uh, in 2016, the national polls were more accurate than they were in 2012. So you can mention that. Um, So I I would go with those two things for why the polls are, you can trust them. Uh, And then the third point would be to talk about what we mentioned on this show a lot, which is that the polling industry figured out you have to be sure you're waiting on education. And once you solve for that, you could have solved a lot of the state-based polling problems we saw in uh, in 2016 as well. And I guess a fourth one would be, and this was a debate I saw unfolding on Twitter before we hopped in here to uh, start the show, was the late versus, you know, how early can you start looking at the yes. poll? If a poll is a week out from an election and then the election turns out differently, well, that doesn't mean the poll was wrong. You could have had late movement. So these are, if you are a pollsters listener and you would like to defend your honor party party and you want to be loads of fun. (laughs) These are your talking points. 2016, national polls were pretty right. 2018, polls everywhere, with like the exception of Indiana and Missouri for the most part, were great. Um, So so roll with that. Those are our, our talking points for you. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about trusting the polls today. Um, What are in the top lines? Well, first, we're going to dive into the Dem primary, what we can expect coming out of the Democratic debate and the performance of the various candidates. We'll talk a little bit about impeachment. Polling there has flattened off, but there is no shortage of data on this subject. So we'll take a check in there. As Margie mentioned, poll unskewing is back. People taking other people's polls, reweighting them to what they think the electorate looks like. We will discuss the latest kerfluffle over Fox News' polling on impeachment. Then we'll talk about polls on how we view each other, Republicans and Democrats. Are we missing important truths about how one another uh, views the world? And finally, I am going to walk back my most controversial opinion that I've ever voiced on this show. And no, it's not my position on beats. <laughs> or elote. <laughs> or elote. Well, no, I did. Well, I've already walked back my elote somewhat. Hot takes by Kristen. <laughs> yeah. My my hottest take, my most offensive opinion, I am here to walk back at the end of this show. <laughs> okay, well, first... What's happening in the Democratic primary? I don't know if there's something. I mean, we had a debate, obviously, um, two nights ago, uh, and it's still a little early to tell if the debate had an impact on the, you know, on the primary horse race. And you know, sometimes it's 
you know, when do you see that effect? You see that effect right away. And then doing polling right away is fraught because you're talking to people who vote, who watch the, you know, debate or pick up the phones easily because you're doing it in just one night or two nights in like a snap poll situation. So, or you do something a little bit longer after the fact, and then is the, whatever effect came from the debate, you know, dissipated. So we don't know. I mean, I think viewership of this debate was a little bit lower than some of the previous ones. So I don't know if that will make a difference because obviously people are not just getting their information about the debate from watching the debate itself, but also from the coverage of the debate, which may probably will be the same roughly, um, or, you know, maybe more comparable. So, um, so we'll see. I mean, uh, uh, I think, you know, the overall trends headed into the debate about, uh, you know, Biden and Warren being in similarly matched at the top and Sanders in third and uh, other candidates kind of in another, in a breaking out, you know, situation trying to break out um, from where they are, whether they're mid-pack or, um, you know, on the stage in some way. Um, you saw 538 do something interesting with Ipsos when they looked at, they did a poll right after the debate and they also did one before the debate and they looked at uh, pre-debate favorability and, and performance to see, you know, what the relationship was there, which I thought was interesting. And you could see some folks who, you know, exceeded where that one for one line, one equals one, uh, X equals Y line might be, I should say, um, with Klobuchar and Buttigieg uh, seeming to do a little bit better relative to their pre-debate favorability. Um, what did you think looking at these numbers? I mean, you were, were you, you were on air during the debate, weren't you? I wasn't on air during the debate. I hosted the Fox Nation uh, debate, post-debate analysis, which um, is for Fox's streaming service. Um, so it was fun. I got to be an anchor for the first time, read from a prompter, throw to a remote reporter hit. Um, the The panel I had was folks who were more right-leaning, so not really the target audience. Right. for. Uh, but I think one of the areas where folks were the most sort of intrigued was some of this talk about the economy. And you had these interesting debates between Warren and Yang over things like automation um, that were pretty interesting. And frankly, just watching you know, the, the dividing lines where you've now got Klobuchar, Buttigieg, et cetera, being a little more vocal in their pursuit of what felt like the moderate lane. Um, I mean, it seems like for Buttigieg that that may have helped him improve his standing. But you also saw, and as well as Klobuchar, you know, with the two of them being kind of the most aggressive voices for the more moderate view up there, um, they seem to have benefited if you're looking at this before versus after debate um, uh, figures, which which is interesting to me. Yep, yep. So there's more at 5:30. They really, I think, break down the numbers. I, I, you know, I guess you see these numbers and they're color coded. And there's they have some cool data viz. I don't know if maybe ultimately the story is that there's you know not that much change. You know, so we'll we'll see. We'll see how things play out. Um, you know, over the next few weeks, obviously, you know, you see folks trying to make some kind of move um, one way or the other. So let's talk about, should we talk about impeachment and Trump's approval? Yeah. So impeachment numbers have sort of leveled off after last week. The average in the 538 tracker is about 49% support, 44% don't support impeachment. So still pushing, uh, you know, certainly a plurality, if not a majority in some polls saying that they support impeachment. All depends on how you ask the question, of course. Uh, there has not been very much movement among Republicans. There was a teeny little jump at the beginning of Republicans saying yes, but that has really flattened off. While Democrats and independents, those lines have sort of continued to tick up 
slightly over the last uh, week or so, but but not a ton. So it's still in a position that's not great for the president, but seems to have leveled off. Um, Pew asked some uh, questions about impeachment and found forty five or pardon me fifty four percent approving of the House's decision to begin an inquiry. But then when you ask, do you actually think that Congress is going to be fair and reasonable? Um, One thing Republicans and Democrats can kind of agree on is probably not really. Uh, 57% of Republicans and 52% of Democrats say they're either not at all or not too confident um, in Congress that they will be fair and reasonable, which is a tough question because you can if you're a Republican, you can think Democrats won't be fair. And if you're Democrats, you can think Republicans won't be fair. That's how you always wind up with congressional job approval around like 9% because there's always folks in in Congress, you know, doing things that lots of people don't like. Um, But Democrats make up a majority. There's an interesting chart where they sort of show how people flow from the September question where they say, based on what you know, would you favor or oppose the House conducting impeachment proceedings? And then in October, they say, do you approve or disapprove of the House representative's decision to conduct an impeachment? So they change it from favor to approve. um, And they show that most of that movement of those who opposed it back in September, but now approve of the decision to move forward, they tend to be uh, Democratic by, I think it's about a, like a two to one margin. If you opposed it in September, but now you approve Um, It's 61% Democratic or lean Democratic, 32% Republican or lean Republican. So it's more that Democrats who are skeptical of impeachment have come around to it more so than right-leaning folks have suddenly decided that they want Trump gone. Yeah. And, you know, that's not a surprise, but when you look at the overall numbers of how Democrats have moved at the same time, the fact that there are Republicans who opposed it before and now support it, I think, is important. I think that's important. And to your point about the trust, like, you know, seems like D's and R's agree, you know, agree that they're, they don't feel that Congress will handle it in a fair and reasonable way. They did break out this question. It's not in the script. I'm, I'm looking at this as an embargoed report. It's hot off the presses. It'll have been just released by the time this episode drops. But um, they asked, how confident you feel in Democrats and how confident you feel in Republicans. And then they broke you know, did a cross tab of that. And so overall, you had about a fifth who said they were not confident in either party. Um, 35% were confident in Democrats, but not confident in Republicans. 31% were confident in Republicans, but not confident in Democrats. You know, obviously that's broken out by party, which they also show. Um, 12%, so this is the smallest number, are confident in both parties. Uh, but more than that, say they're not confident in either party. That's about a fifth. So that's, I don't know what to make of that. I mean, that's, you know, that's a troubling number, but not a surprise given the other stuff that we're going to talk about a little bit about how people feel generally about how things are going. Uh, Philip Bump at The Post. This is kind of you know, you see now we have enough recent data and the everyday polling of impeachment is now, I want to say it's not as newsworthy, but there's been a lot of it that you now see different folks trying to kind of dig in a little bit in, in, in these numbers. So Philip Bump did something and he looked at Gallup tracking, comparing uh, Trump's current numbers to where Nixon was. And, you know, you could say something about how polling is different now versus then, but just to compare apples to apples. Um, you see that Trump's approval is lower than where Nixon's was, and support for Trump's impeachment is higher than where 
Nixon's was. So that I think is interesting as well. One thing that has not really moved a lot over the last couple of weeks has been the president's job approval. It's been hanging around 43%. If anything, about a week ago, it had done like this little tiny spike um, and then fell back down. Uh, so it's it's still hanging out in kind of the, the terrain it has been, which explains why the fact that impeachment is much higher or you've seen this swing toward um, impeachment support it's, it seems as though it was mostly coming from folks who they may not have approved of the job President Trump did, may not have liked him, they maybe lean Democratic, but Democratic leadership wasn't supporting impeachment. So, you know, you, you sort of uh, follow, follow the leaders on that front, that that's where most of this movement has been. And that was a question that was unresolved because I think a week or two ago, you had polls kind of all over the place. Was most of this movement coming from Republicans or was most of the movement coming from Democrats? Seems like more of it's coming from Democrats if you look at the totality of the polls. Not that none of it's coming from Republicans. I mean, you do have, when you ask, do you approve of the House of Representatives' decision to conduct an impeachment inquiry, 15% of Republicans do say yes. 20% think Trump has probably done things that are grounds for impeachment, probably or definitely. Uh, so it's not that there are none, but the, just that the movement now, Pew, has sort of sussed out. It's mostly Democrats having moved. Those are probably folks that did not approve of Trump to begin with. Yeah, there was a Navigator uh, report on impeachment that came out Friday, and it was in the New York Times over the weekend. And we looked, and, and folks can go to navigatorresearch.org, and, and it'll be there. We found about a quarter, just under a quarter of folks are impeachment skeptics. So that's defined by people who are you know, undecided on impeachment. They don't know how they feel about it. Or some of these things you just mentioned, he's committed an impeachable offense, but it'd be better to wait until the election or Trump may have done something wrong, but it's too soon to say whether it justifies impeachment. So this is not movement. This is just openness in some way or skeptic about it, not a firm opponent of impeachment where, you know, the 25% oppose and say, you know, he's done nothing wrong. Trump's done nothing wrong. That's a quarter of the electorate, hard opposition to impeachment. So among that quarter that are impeachment skeptics, those folks are actually more Republican because they, there's some doubt um, about the president's behavior, even if it doesn't, you know, firmly fit into support, oppose impeachment strongly in one way or the other. And we looked at there's some messaging and also some tests of different facts. Do you, you know, does this seem true? Uh, also in a separate battery, does this seem, you know, troubling? Is it concerning? And majorities found a variety of the different facts behind the inquiry to be both true and troubling. So it's worth taking a, uh, taking a look at that. And, you know, I think the, one of the key takeaways is how do people talk about this or think about um, impeachment and the phrases that you probably heard if you've been following it, which I'm sure most of our listeners have that no one is above the law, not even the president and whether or not this is an abuse of power, has Trump abused his power? Those are, those are phrases that really resonate with a lot of folks, including the folks in, that are the impeachment skeptics. Um, another piece too, is that there's bipartisan agreement that the allegations are serious. So with skeptics who are disproportionately Republican, remember that it resonates with this group as well. Well, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about an impeachment poll that ruffled a lot of feathers, including the president's, and we'll discuss the effort to unskew it when we come right back. Are you good with people? Maybe you're organized or have a knack for numbers. Well, then chances are you've got skills that could lead to a new career. 
A Google Career Certificate can help you get a foot in the door with top employers in fast-growing fields like IT support, project management, data analytics, and user experience design. It's professional-level training developed and taught by Google employees, and it's all online so you can learn around your schedule. Put your skills to work. Go to grow.google/certificates. Welcome back. We are here to now revisit the wonderful world of poll unskewing. So last, uh, it was like October 9th, so a little over a week ago, uh, Fox News released a poll that showed um, the president having 51% uh, of people supporting impeaching and removing from office. And that is the highest level of impeachment that had been found in a poll at that point. I mean, I think we had maybe just recorded a show like a yeah. day or two before where it was like, no, you know, so far no polls are showing a, a majority for impeach and remove. They're more favorable in the inquiry. So this was big because it was Fox. Um, I had to correct a couple of folks who were wrong on the internet. Um, oh, I love correcting people who are wrong on the internet, uh, who were like, well, 51% of Fox viewers. And it's like, no, yes. no. No, no, no. That's not how this works. It's, it's a national poll. Um, but it's, it is I, a poll. I thought you'd have to correct people because people were saying, like, you you did this poll and the president had a question about your about you specifically. Did you have to correct anyone doing that? No, no. And, and, that, and frankly, because one of the pollsters in the bipartisan polling team that does the Fox poll, one of them is named... Anderson. In fact, I think named Chris Anderson, Chris Anderson yes. which is my husband's name, but that is not my husband. <laughs> they are different Chris Anderson. <laughs> um, so, so no, no one, it was actually, that was not the issue, but it was the, well, wait a minute, isn't this a poll of Fox viewers? That's crazy. And it was like, no, no, um, it's a poll for Fox News, however, which is why I think the president was particularly piqued by it. He, he has taken to tweeting about Fox from time to time. Um, and this sort of came to a head when the New York Post published a piece claiming that the poll was dramatically oversampling Democrats. Um, if you read it's a piece, I don't even know that I want to dignify it by like linking to it, but there was a piece in the New York Post that basically just says, um, that the pollster, Braun Research, which that's not the pollster, that's the call center in this case. So you already know, it's like strike one, this person doesn't know what they're talking about. That's the call center, not the pollster, but fine. Right. Right. Um, and so if you look, I mean, Fox is transparent. They release the full cross tabs and they also release um, the party breakdown, the party ID breakdown. And the way they ask their question is one of those two parters where you ask your independents, well, if you had to say, do you lean one way or the other, which way do you lean? Um, and then they group those together. Um, so you wind up with a big Democrat number, a big Republican number, and a small pure independent number because you filtered leaners one way or the other. And this oh-so-intellectually honest writer for the New York Post decides to compare that to Gallup's true just three-way breakdown, R, D, and I, which is not pushing the independent leaners in either direction, finds that independents are 38%, Democrats 31, Republicans 29, um, and they go, oh my gosh, look, they're oversampling Democrats by 17 points. Um, no, you're just dumb and can't read polling. <laughs> right. I, I'm, I mean, there's no like nice way for, uh, yes, I'm being ad hominem and I'm, I'm being mean, but this is a person who obviously does not understand how polling works, 
having gotten a piece that is devoid of an understanding of polling by their editor, and they should be ashamed. Um, the poll, and then frankly, there were other people who ought to know better who were trying from the polling world who were trying to back up the president and say, no, 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 look, this poll, if the sample's wrong, blah, blah, blah. No, Fox releases their polling cross tabs, including the party ID breakdown. Their sample this time around was less Democratic than it was in September. So the movement is not that the poll became more Democratic. Right. The movement is that more people support impeachment. I right. hate Which to break it Which is obviously consistent with every other poll out there, too. Correct. And if you look at when Gallup then asks the three-way and then you push the independents to say who leans one way or another, then it lines up much more closely. When you ask the independents to break down which way do they lean, Gallup winds up having a, a D plus five advantage, which is really close to the, what is it, D plus seven advantage of the Fox poll um, or D plus eight. I mean, that's 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 close enough. Um, and frankly, there's plenty of exit polling data and other things that would suggest D plus eight once you move the leaners is a totally acceptable uh, way to look at it. So this is, but I, I think the real tell that the person writing this New York Post article does not know what they're talking about is that they were doing apples and oranges on the three-way party ID versus the three-way plus you split out the leans. And so then like trying to go back and reweight the numbers, a post analysis has said that if you actually weighted it appropriately, here's what you get. This is the total nonsense. And of course, they're not <laughs> transparent at all about how they're doing it. But right. how could you be, be transparent if you don't understand how polling works at all, as evidenced by the rest of your piece? Uh, anyhow, this is me getting, I will step down off my soapbox, obviously as a Fox contributor, that is not the only reason why I feel defensive of this poll. I have long said that I thought the Fox's polling is really good. There's a reason why the DNC counts it as a qualifying poll. It's not partisan. It's extremely high quality. And this post piece is trash garbage. Yeah. New York Post, we should. Yeah. I mean, I, for, I thought I was going to carry this bit, but you did a great job. That was, that was great. I mean, look, you can't weight somebody's data if you don't have the data file, which it's clear, you know, I mean, you, I suppose you could try to like come up with something, but it's not really how one weights the data. So the fact that they are like, we weighted this data is, uh, is not true. You need to have the actual data set with all the different records in it, which they clearly do not have one. Two, there is this kind of theme out there, not just this incident flare up, but I've seen it a lot where I've seen Republican pollsters. I've gotten into it online on Twitter, which I try not to do, where Republican pollsters, again, who should know better, will look at a poll, public poll and say, well, this is this is not fair because it doesn't have it has more Democrats and Republicans. If you make an equal number, there are of more Democrats, Democrats than Republicans in America. It's yeah, just, guess it, what? it just is what it is, man. Republicans like, do better. Win more people to your side. Like, yeah, exactly. If you spent more time trying to get more people on your side instead of trying to, let me now I'll go rogue, instead of like, you know, trying to rig the system to get yourself in power without actually convincing hearts and minds, which is what, you know, us, the left see the Republicans doing, you know, all throughout the whole, you know, 
all the structural advantages that Republicans try to codify because they don't have the electoral, you know, popular vote advantage. But at any rate, you know, instead of that's this little thing here, these flare ups over what percent should be the party ID is kind of that writ small, right? <laughs> it's like, you know, like, hey, well, we should just arbitrarily make this even. I'm like, okay, well, that's not actually what it is. So this is not the first time we've seen, nor will it be the last time, some you know, something, somebody trying to like call in a question, a poll that has a perfectly reasonable party ID break. Democrats have had the advantage over Republicans in most polls in party ID, like for a long time, you know, for, for years now, there've been moments where Republicans have been a little bit better, but by and large in the aggregate, Democrats have been less unpopular than Republicans. You know, if you look at the party ID of the parties and there's been an advantage in party ID. So, so to try to like, make up some numbers because you don't like the polling results that look like all the other polling results we should hand from every other outlet is, is kind of crazy. It's a waste of time and a waste of ink. And then, you know, for the president to just to do this, to just get the president to kind of nod in agreement and say, ha ha, here I have a little, you know, piece of info that seems to, you know, seems right is, it's sad. It's sad. You know, and anyway, I mean, and it's consistent now with all the other, which we can talk about now, like a couple other new polls that, again, show this like incredible divide, you know, that we're unable to respect anything that the other side says. We're unable to, you know, agree on the basic facts. Um, and the divide that has been going on for a while continues you know, it just continues with, if anything, it's getting worse. I mean, this is from Pew now, um, with the percent who give a cold rating to the, you know, the other party that's increased. It's been increasing now for a while. It's at a new high, um, in both parties and both parties feel about, you know, the other side. Um, you have the majority of Republicans say Democrats are more closed-minded than other Americans. You have a majority of Democrats who say Republicans are more closed-minded than other Americans. I mean, uh, you know, that's the one that people, you know, that sort of is the, is the biggest, um, I don't know, I should say winner, I guess, or the most descriptive uh, of the other party. And a majority, almost three-fourths, say that uh, not only can the parties disagree, not only do they disagree over plans and policies, but they cannot agree on basic facts, like party ID, for example. Um, you know, three-fourths say that, which is, you know, it's a troubling number. So there is a number in this poll, in the Monmouth poll, where they ask people, do you feel the American way of life is under threat? And more people now, 50%, feel it is uh, under a great deal of threat, which is higher, or I guess uh, it's nearly identical, but but you know, three points higher than in August 2016, when 47% said it was uh, a great deal under threat. Um, and this that, is Monmouth. This is in Pew now. This is Monmouth. Yeah, this, this is Monmouth. Yeah. And that, that the increase there is from Democrats now feeling more like there's a great deal of threat to the American way of life, a majority, 52%, um, where the opposite is now true for Republicans. It had been that Republicans were very much feeling under siege in 2016, 65% of them thinking the American way of life is under a great deal of threat. Um, now they have sort of scaled back. Democrats are more of that view. And now it's Democrats and Republicans are both about in the same place. That kind of environment leads to not just saying, look, the other side and I disagree on what the top marginal tax rate should be, but rather my way of life or the way of life of people like me is is going away. I mean, that's just a deeper, more fundamental 
hard to untangle level of division. Yeah. And so you see, you know, these numbers, maybe they're going to, you know, in some places they're getting a little bit worse or more divided. Some places they're the same as they've been in past Monmouth polls that have asked this, but you know, it's, it's clear that the overall pattern is one that's, you know, pretty negative. Um, They had a question thinking about people who hold core political principles different from yours. How much does it concern you that our country would suffer lasting damage if their policies were put into place? A majority say a great deal. Um, And that number has gone up. There's also a question about, um, and this one I think was, is interesting, where they said, what causes more problems in the federal government? Elected officials not willing to stand up for principles or those not willing to compromise. Um, And now you have more, you know, new high, although that's been, it's fairly similar with past askings that say not willing to stand up for principles. It's basic, it's more or less evenly divided with not willing to compromise, 41%, not stand up, 45%, not willing to compromise. But that shift has come a little bit from Democrats that see, you know, before Democrats were more about compromise. Now there's a little bit more of a surge and, you know, Democrats wanting someone, uh, you know, they think the biggest, they would have a greater desire for people to stand up to principles. Well, before we move on, the the last big issue that's been in the news over the last week or two has been Syria. Um, and this is an issue that does not necessarily divide uh, totally along party lines in the sort of strong, like 90 to 10 way that you see a lot of issues break. Um, And you've seen that reflected in congressional Republicans being a little more vocal in their opposition to what the president has done with regards to Turkey and Syria than they typically are. Um, We have, there's not a ton of data on where people stand on this, but we do have one poll question that comes out from YouGov asking, do you approve or disapprove of Donald Trump's decision to withdraw U.S. forces from near the international border between Syria and Turkey, which has had the effect of leaving Syrian Kurds who fought against ISIS vulnerable to attack from the Turkish military? Ooh, that is a mouthful of a question. The glories of online polling. Um, Overall, most Americans disapprove of President Trump's decision. And even a quarter of Republicans do. 26% of Republicans say they either somewhat or strongly disapprove of the president's decision to leave, um, you know, by mentioning that it was Trump's decision, you're sort of injecting, you know, there will be some partisan uh, leaning here, but only 25% of Republicans strongly approve of the decision. So I continue to think this is something he's done, that if we see his job approval softening um, over the next couple of weeks, I would credit it more to this than anything involving impeachment, since we've seen Republicans have not really budged a ton on whether they support or oppose impeachment. But this seems to be something that would leave him more soft, more vulnerable. Yeah, potentially. I mean, potentially, right? I'd be interested to see what the results of this question would be if you split sampled it and you didn't anchor it with Donald Trump in there, what would happen? And do people need more information? It's tough to boil this you know, this whole incident down into a single question, you know, if folks are not necessarily familiar um, with the backstory. So, and, and also what happens if you introduce people to some of the things that Trump said about, about this, you know, the, you know, the Kurds weren't with, you know, they didn't help in Normandy and these kinds of things that, that Trump has said, um, you know, does that change how people view this incident or not? Um, We'll see. Okay, so just to wrap up, before we wrap up, we'll we'll take a break and 
then come back to some other things that are near and dear to DC's heart right now. Support for this podcast comes from Invent Together. According to studies, less than 13% of all inventors who hold a U.S. patent are women. Black and Hispanic college graduates patent at half the rate of their white counterparts. But we can fix that by increasing participation in innovation and patenting by underrepresented groups. It would quadruple the number of American inventors and increase annual GDP by almost $1 trillion. Invent Together is a coalition of organizations, companies, universities, and concerned citizens committed to ensuring that everyone has the opportunity to invent and patent. Because the more diverse the American patent system gets, the stronger and more successful our nation will become. What can you do to help diverse inventors patent and unleash economic opportunity? Find out at inventtogether.org. Learn more and take action today. Okay, so we're back. Kristen, what is what is happening in the world of sports? <laughs> so longtime listeners will know that I, for a long time on this show, have maintained that I think baseball is a little bit boring, that I understand that it's America's sport. I understand that it is this great apple pie, small business, you know, Main Street, like, you know, it's, it is Americana at its purest. Um, But I have always found, like, it is very hard for me to just watch a baseball game on television. And even going to baseball games, if the weather's not great, if it's really hot or really cold, it just sometimes can feel a little slow. So I have said on this show before that I am not a huge baseball person. I would like to walk back that view now that the Washington Nationals are in the World Series. Uh, Playoff baseball, it turns out, is really exciting (laughs) and very interesting and not at all like a sort of random regular season game where it feels like there are no stakes. And in fact, playoff baseball may be more emotionally thrilling and intense to watch than things like, you know, high stakes college football games, uh, which is a big statement coming from me. I also had it explained to me by my husband that Part of the problem is that if I think of baseball as a sport you watch on TV, I'm thinking about it wrong, that there's a lot of good writing about how baseball is fundamentally a radio sport. And so I've just been, I've been doing it wrong. So go Nats. I am now, you know, I I am one of those people, one of these DCites that is like on the bandwagon. Um, I don't have a team from Orlando that I could support. So Nats it is. And there is some polling of Nationals fans um, that has gone back across the season. I guess there's um, SB Nation has something called Fan Pulse where they survey plugged in fans from each team and ask them direction of the team. How confident are you in the direction of the team? It's like a right track, wrong track. It is the right track, wrong track for baseball teams. Fascinating. So at the beginning of the season, The Nationals have offloaded Bryce Harper to Philadelphia. It's a brand new day. 75-ish percent of Nats fans were confident in the direction of the team. And then you get to the summer, and it is bleak. It is bleak, bleak, bleak. We were 12 games under uh, 500. We were not in a good place. Um, I'm talking to my friends who have followed this very closely. I think we were like near you know, the point where you fire all the leadership and you offload all the players and you just kind of start from scratch. And then things got good again. And then all of a sudden you get to now and we have 
um, over 75% of Nats fans say they are confident in the direction of the team. So go Nats. Very exciting time. Margie, are you a Nationals fan or do you have any uh, New York baseball loyalties? You know, whatever. No, I mean, <laughs> like I, I like the idea of going to a baseball game more than I like the idea of going to a football game. Like I enjoy at times or enjoy the idea of going, but then when I'm there, I'm like, this is a little long and, you know, I, I don't like beer so much. And then I, and then it just becomes a little bit less of a thing for me. But, you know, I'm happy when the team wins. I think feels good. For, you know what I like about it? Here's what I like about it. It makes D.C. feel like a normal city where normal things happen. You know, people are excited <laughs> for the sports teams and we all come together. And it's just like a normal town. Like when you do focus groups in a town and they recently won something and like it comes up in the intro you know <laughs> they're like everybody like about here they're like oh we just won the whatever um so it's that's like a good thing about about the nationals doing well so it's like just kind of a regular thing for dc well i'm i'm excited that things are going so well and frankly in my defense my previous position was justifiable uh, and also held by national star Anthony Rendon. He gave an interview apparently a couple years ago where he said like he doesn't even watch baseball games, that he finds baseball itself to be pretty boring. And he plays it and he plays it very well for a major league team. So I stand with Anthony Rendon that like regular season baseball can be a little slow. Um, perhaps I'm just not consuming it properly, but it may be the case that there's nothing better than playoff baseball. Yeah, Pretty that's, great. you know, it's possible. So go I'll, have to take your, I'll have to take your <laughs> word for it. Yeah. Margie, what did we learn this week? So whether you're a political junkie or a baseball junkie, D.C. is the place to be this week. And if you come for the pollsters to unskew the polls, you best not miss. You can find us on Twitter at, at the pollsters, individually at, at Margie O'Meara and at K. Soltis Anderson on Facebook or at www.thepolsters.com. Tell your friends, leave reviews. We love to hear from you, especially when it's something nice. Um, yeah. And if anyone has any hot tips on how I can avoid having scorpions ever crawl in my suitcase or really be anywhere near me ever again, I will welcome that feedback. Thanks. Bye.